Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Welcome. There is nothing good about this evening, but there is much to report. Ten people have been killed at a Texas high school and ten others wounded. Chris? All right, Anderson, thank you very much. Uh, We're just about a mile from the school. It's down this road behind us. Uh, The reason we're so far away is it's still a pretty active scene. As you probably have heard at this point, the authorities found explosive devices. It's one of the real distinguishing characteristics about this particular tragedy and school shooting. They found pipe bombs and perhaps pressure cooker explosive devices at the scene and in the surrounding area. So the perimeter here is a little bit pushed farther back than we're used to. We do know that the suspected killer has already been charged with capital murder and he will face arraignment. He did not put in a plea. We're told he's being held in solitary confinement and there is consideration of bond, but highly unlikely in a situation like this. We do not know as much as we usually do at this point because of the injected uncertainty here, these explosive devices. Uh, The police are still really busy. The wounded are being cared for. Ten people's lives were stolen here. Just as many were injured. They were sent out to different hospitals, different types of injuries. As we're learning more about what happened in there, you have a pistol that was used, a shotgun that was used, and there may have been an explosive device at play as well in terms of injuring people. Now, tonight, we're going to see here what we've gotten all too familiar with. There will be a vigil tonight that is held to get this community together, to tap into their interconnectedness and their strength, and to try to deal with this, Anderson. They just started the vigil. It's going to go into the night. We know how this plays out. Unfortunately, with painful frequency, more than one a week we're averaging this year, Anderson. Another community here surrounding Santa Fe High School. We are going to talk to somebody who survived the shooting. They have a lot to tell us that we haven't heard yet. Yeah, Chris, I know you're going to be talking to people throughout the next two hours, and we appreciate that, including some of the students who survived. As you said, as always on this program, it'll be their stories to tell, theirs and the lives of those who did not make it. name of their alleged killer will not be said, nor will his face be shown. The only thing he deserves is justice. His victims deserve far better. Today, the president spoke out. Here's some of what he said. This has been going on too long in our country. Too many years, too many decades now. We grieve for the terrible loss of life and send our support and love to everyone affected by this absolutely horrific attack to the students, families, teachers, and personnel at Santa Fe High. We're with you in this tragic hour, and we will be with you forever. Well, the president earlier today. Now, this is the country's 22nd school shooting of the year. More now from CNN's Rosa Flores. Still have several more shots. 
Police say a majority of the dead and wounded at Santa Fe High School in Texas are students. The alleged shooter, a 17-year-old classmate now booked on capital murder charges and talking to police. The shooter has information contained in journals on his computer and cell phone that that he said that uh, uh, not only did he want to commit the shooting, but he wanted to commit suicide uh, after the shooting. As you probably know, uh, he gave himself up. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says at least one student has been detained as a person of interest. He's actually shooting. He's in the art room. We've got we shots fired right now, guys. We need to help you. Gunshots rang out just after 7.30 this morning. The weapons used in this attack, uh, there are two weapons. One was a shotgun and the other is a 38 revolver. Uh, neither of these weapons uh, were owned or, or legally possessed uh, by the shooter. It's my information that both of these weapons uh, were obtained by the shooter from his father. Explosive devices, including pipe bombs, were also discovered on and around campus. One uh, was a, a CO2 uh, device. Uh, another was a Molotov cocktail. Uh, and there are various other types of explosive devices that have been identified both in a home as well as in a vehicle. Officials say they now have search warrants for a vehicle and two residences connected to the suspect. Students who escaped the shooting described the scene. We went to go throughout the back door and they rerouted us out the front door. And when they rerouted us out the front door, I went to press the handle. And when I went to press the handle, I did see blood on the handle. Parents raced to the scene as their children called from inside. So just kept telling her to listen to her teacher. Be quiet, stay down, stay on the phone with me. It's really scary, really, really scary. Lori Williams' son, a junior, safe now after telling her just how close he was to the killer. He was in that classroom where the shooter was, according to him. There were three students down in the classroom, and when they were coming out, there were two more students down right outside the back door of the school. And Rosa Flores joins us now. I know, Rosa, you've been on the ground near the high school all day today. Uh, what have you been hearing? What have you learned? You know, Anderson, they've kept us about half a mile away from the school. We haven't even really been able to get close to the school to get our eyes on it, to figure out uh, if we see any shell casings or, or what the, the actual school looks like. What we have seen is just about every imaginable local, state and federal agency and marked and unmarked vehicles going in and out. The road is completely closed. Now, the other thing that we can learn here is from what we haven't heard. And what I mean by that is, uh, Anderson, in that piece, and, and you've been talking about this, how authorities say that they have found explosive devices. We are close to the school. We have not heard any detonations, any controlled detonations. Uh, so it's unclear exactly where they are in the process of processing the scene and also removing those explosives. All right, Rosa Flores, thanks very much. We're going to, of course, continue uh, to monitor any late developments in the investigation as they come uh, come to light. In the meantime, sadly, and as always, we're primarily hearing from young people talking about what ought to be unspeakable things for anyone to experience. I heard three gunshots. And after that, the teachers didn't say nothing. And then we heard more gunshots and I seen someone running like from across the field where we were at behind the school. And then we all the teachers just screamed at us to run and told us to take off. So we all took off towards the back. I ran through someone's yard and jumped their fence. And then I took two people with me. 
and then after that we all grouped up at the Chevron. It's been happening everywhere. I felt, I've always kind of felt like eventually it was going to happen here too. So, I don't know. I wasn't surprised, I was just scared. Yeah, what was going through your head in those moments? Well, I really just wanted to leave, but I thought it better to stay and just hide for and hide with everybody else. I was scared for my life. Nobody should go through this. Nobody should be able to feel that in school. This is a place where we're supposed to feel safe. This is somewhere we come most of the week. Nobody should have to go through this. Nobody should feel that pain. It hurts my heart to see this. Nobody should have to go through this. I want to go back now to Chris Cuomo in Santa Fe. Chris? All right. It is hard to hear these voices, but we we have to, Anderson. I mean, one of the biggest mistakes we can make in these situations is to become numb. I know there's so many people who are saying, oh, no, not another one. Everyone counts. And it's because of people like the young man you're about to meet right now, survivor Damon Raybon. Damon, thank you. Uh, I know that uh, this is not a day where you wanted to just keep going and keep talking about this. I understand. 18 years old a senior, you got your whole life in front of you, it almost ended this morning. You say school started about 7 o'clock in the morning. What happened not long after that? Well, at 7 o'clock, routine day, everyone heard the tardy bell, so we knew it was just a routine day. We were doing our review, like, and about probably... Sorry, let it go. Probably, I'd say, around uh, 7.20ish to 7.30ish. to hear it right live from santa fe <laughs> that's exactly right all right so the train's going by at least this is something familiar again right yes, sir. life as you know it here obviously everything this morning totally different keep your voice up and tell us you're sitting in class you go through a review yes sir what do and you hear we hear just a loud banging rattling noise at first it was just one it was just one so we thought maybe Someone was banging on, like, the shop door or maybe something fell. So we were like, well, you know, it's just something happened. And my teacher, Mr. West, actually walked outside the room, and I followed him. You know, I'm a curious student. I was just trying to see what was going on. And he turned the corner, and we heard about three more, like, loud, just banging, rattling noises. Like I said, gunshots. It's rattling off all throughout the school. And you really just can't tell exactly what it is at the time. So we heard that, and he was walking down the hall, and the shooter came out of the art hallway, grabbed, like, there's a backpack to his left, like the art hall, and we're on the right. And he walked out of the, walked out of the art room, grabbed his backpack on the left, and turned around and went back into the classroom. And at this point, we knew, like, this is, this is the real, like, it's the real, it's really happening to us. I mean, we honestly were in complete shock. So the teacher came back, and he got everyone in the classroom. He told everyone, like, this is the real deal. It was, I'm not going to lie, it was complete chaos for a good minute and a half or so until we finally got the wits about everyone. And we started barricading the doors and telling everyone just to calm down, calm down, be quiet, be quiet. So you were just one classroom yes, away. Yes, we were one classroom away, yes, sir. And you're hearing the gunshots going off. Yes, sir. You have to be thinking yes, the sir. obvious. He's coming this way. Well, actually, as he was shooting the gun, is the more shots, it was probably, i say probably shot around 16, 17 times. And as he started progressing shooting, you can hear them, hear him progressively getting closer. And it, it's completely no feeling at all that any student, especially here at this great country, should ever have to go through the feeling that we're next. Like, we, our life is about to end right now in this high school. Like, we are about to die. And everyone was just crying 
in complete tears, uh, dis and utter belief. Like, I'm still at a loss for words, and I'm, my heart truly goes out for the families and the loved ones that honestly lost someone today. And to every teacher, and not just the teachers, the school cops that responded in the manner that they should have responded in and took the situation under control. You started to hear the police response also. You started to hear what sounded to you like competing gunshots. Yes, sir. It sounded like at first you could hear the obvious shotgun boom and boom, boom, probably about five times. And then you hear just like all types of shots, definitely handgun shots going from the shooter, I guess, to the cops and the cops back to the shooter at the time. And we, at least at that point, in our point of view, we're like, well, someone's shooting back. Like, we, we may be all right, but at the whole time, it's right outside of our door. And we were, it was complete, utter disbelief. So you say you heard something else. Yes, now, sir. you know, as we were saying earlier, authorities are really busy here. They've yes, been sir. finding explosive. There were pipe bombs, pressure cooker on the scene. Uh, they found some in the surrounding area. There's a nearby trailer where they think they may have been assembled. So they've been trying to deal with what's still kind of an active situation. You think you heard something that wasn't a gunshot? Yes, sir. It was definitely like not like the rattling gun type noise. It was more like a deeper boom. It almost sounded like a door getting kicked in, but like the door was like right next to us, but we didn't have any doors. So we were like, well, that ha- hopefully that's the cops kicking in doors, you know, trying to get the situation under control. And we now that come to find out that we definitely believe that it was an improvised explosive device. You think it was one of the IEDs, one of the improvised explosive devices. What did you hear afterwards? Your mother was telling me earlier that she thinks there was someone who was hurt by what looked to be shrapnel, not a gunshot wound. Is that true? Yes, sir. I talked to, I think, two students afterwards because we were the very last class cleared. Like, we probably sat in the classroom for a good hour to hour and a half. And we were the very last class cleared. And when we were cleared, the other students that were hurt, hurt but not like badly injured that was actually in the art class were telling us what happened and I just remember the look on this one guy's face like just complete just he was blown away and he like he was like trying to tell us what happened and he was like I was looking around and I just saw one of one of my friends drop and then another one of my friends drop and he threw cylindrical he's described it as a cylindrical canister device and he put his hand up and he has cuts and stuff all over his hand and his jeans are ripped and stuff so I would definitely leave me to believe that. You made it through. Yes, sir. 1,400 kids in that school. Yes, sir. Uh, he stole 10 lives. Yes, sir. A dozen more were hurt. You'll take some solace in here, and it could have been much worse. You guys could have been next. But where's your head and your heart coming out of something like this? My heart right now is honestly just thanking the Lord above that we're here and that, I mean, there could have been so many more kids, just so many more. I mean, you have a school of 1,400 students and it's just unspeakable the fact that someone can even get inside of a school with that type of guns and explosives and all type. My heart truly is out for the victims and the ones that truly lost something today. I just cannot believe no mother, no parent should ever have to go through that type of pain of bearing their own, their own daughters and sons. It's just, It's unspeakable. Nightmare that too many people are living. Is it true, Damon, that you have uh, a school resource officer that has a weapon on them? Yes, sir. We have two of them, and they responded very quickly because you could hear it was probably, I mean, for us, it felt like an eternity, but it was almost, I mean. They were there. Yes, sir. I'm thanking my life right now that they were there because you could definitely tell with the gunshots that it wasn't just one shooter shooting. It was, they were shooting at each other. And yes, sir. 
Well, there's no question that people were putting up a fight to get rid of this guy as soon as possible. He's now in custody. As Anderson said, we'll leave him to justice. The stories to tell are yours and those who weren't as lucky as you. Young man, thank you for talking to me about this. I know this is the hardest day you've had so far. Hopefully, it is the hardest day you ever have. Uh, And I thank you and your mother for bringing you over here. You be well. Yes, sir. You too, man. All right. Damon Raybon, one of the people who made it through, as he said, Anderson, 1,400 kids. Uh, Graduation is just next week. They were going to have a preparation for it tomorrow. And then this happens, and now no one's life in this community or in that school will ever be the same. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, There's still a lot to learn. Chris, I appreciate it coming up. We we don't yet know the whys of, of what happened here in Texas, but we do know at least a little about who. CNN senior investigative correspondent Drew Griffith is next with what we know about the alleged shooter. And later, latest talking point from the president and his allies who claim an informant was planted inside the Trump campaign to collect information. What U.S. officials are telling CNN tonight about that claim. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. Of course, there's a lot we don't yet know about the suspect in today's attack at Santa Fe High School. And as regular viewers of the broadcast know, it's been our practice for a long time now not to say the shooter's name or any other shooter for that matter when these kinds of horrible events occur. Given that, we can shed some light on his background. For that, here's CNN senior investigative correspondent Drew Griffin. So, Drew, what are you learning so far? Surprisingly, very little about the warning signs we usually get in these kind of cases, Anderson. We can tell you tonight, just a little while ago, he was brought into court, charged with capital murder and aggravated assault on a public servant. He was not asked to enter a plea and bail has been denied. I can tell you he's 17 years old. He is a junior. He obviously planned this, according to the governor. uh, He kept a journal and in that journal, we're told, He said he was going to kill himself after this attack and later told police he didn't have the courage to do it. Those were his words. He didn't have the courage to kill himself. Uh, Authorities from the governor on down say at this moment they can find no flags, no warning signs. Uh, Somewhat frustrating for them as they do this. And I know we're not showing his picture, but I can tell you on his Facebook, his picture looks like an average teenager. Uh, He was on the freshman football team a few years back. He was an honor student in middle school. The students that we talked to that knew him, not friends, but knew him, say he was very quiet, often wore a trench coat to school, was wearing a trench coat today to school on a 90-degree day, and that is what allowed him to hide that shotgun underneath his trench coat. That's according to the lieutenant governor of Texas. Anderson? I I know you've also been coming through uh, his social media postings. Yeah, and there is not much to that but for uh, two interesting posts he made on April 30th. This was just uh, less than a few weeks ago. We can show you those, I think. One is a T-shirt, a black T-shirt with the words Born to Kill on it. The other one is another piece of wardrobe. It is this uh, duster-type jacket. 
uh, which has Nazi symbolism on it, also some uh, fascist-type uh, symbols and some religious symbols, not much else. We've tried to reach many of his Facebook friends and family. We haven't gotten anybody to talk, certainly nobody who could come on and explain what was going on in this kid's life or what could possibly explain what took place today. Anderson? Yeah, Drew Griffin, uh, appreciate it. Uh, let's go back to uh, Chris Cuomo in, in uh, Texas. So many questions, obviously, Chris. And a lot of times, I mean, it's impossible to get in somebody's head. It's true. Look, motive is only relevant to help us understand how to stop this the next time. What can be identified, as you've laid out perfectly for the audience, it's not about some morbid fascination with what makes someone kill. Uh, It's understanding if there were warning signs. Now, we're getting more information about what makes this case different, Anderson. So let's get to some experts right now. We have two law enforcement veterans uh, who are with us right now. We have... um, And unfortunately, this team's been together too much. We got retired FBI supervisory special agent uh, Jim Galliano, and we have Charles Ramsey. Uh, You'll remember him, the police chief in Washington, D.C. We also uh, have him as the police commissioner in Philadelphia. Okay, so you remember Charles Ramsey from these situations. Uh, Charles Ramsey, it's good to have you. Uh, Jim, once again, we're standing side by side trying to make sense of a situation that makes no sense. There are some different features this time, most notably what we see with weapons, access to weapons, and then the explosives. Is that how you size it up? Sure. And the case has some some parallels, obviously, to, to Columbine, which happened 19 years ago last month. We, we understand that there might have been a pressure cooker device as well as pipe bomb, which Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold used in 1999. The second part of this is the weaponry, and you and I were talking about this on the way in, like what could be done? We could look at things like universal background checks. We could look at raising the age. Doesn't here was, matter here. Here was a 17-year-old kid that got access to his father's weapons. They were two home defense weapons. It was a shotgun and a 38 revolver. Now, listening to the witness that was here earlier, the student witness that you were talking to, and understanding the, the boom, boom, boom of the shotgun, Senator John Cornyn has said that the barrel was shortened, okay? So a, a standard shotgun barrel is anywhere between 18, 20, 22 inches long. You're not allowed to have one less than an 18-inch barrel or 26 inches in total length. Now, the maximum rounds, even with an extended tube, maybe four, five, or six rounds, he would have had to reload. We don't know yet if this was buckshot or birdshot or whether or not it was a, 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 a deadly slug round. And then the five, uh, five or six rounds he would have had with the 38 enough damage in that time before the police were able to interdict him to kill 10 people, unfortunately. School of 1400, imagine if he had had something that allowed him to be more productive. Now, there's this other aspect. Uh, Charles Ramsey, let me bring you in on this. So this kid, Damon uh, Raybon, who was in the classroom next, he says, look, I know what shotguns sound like. I know what pistols sound like. I heard something else. And I was then told by kids in the art classroom where this kid went in there, this 17-year-old murderer went in, they say he threw a cylindrical device that exploded and hurt some people. Now, we haven't gotten official word about this, Chief, in terms of whether any of these IEDs went off, but it sounds like, you know, unless somebody's telling a story, although this kid Damon says he saw injuries on the kids that looked like shrapnel, that changes the analysis. Well, I mean, it does. And we do know that he did have IEDs of some kind. Uh, So it's very possible that he could have 
set one off uh, as he was uh, firing his weapon or shortly after he fired his weapon. So it certainly is within the realm of possibility. More information will come out as time goes on, because right now there's still information that perhaps the police are not putting out. Uh, but as time goes on, we'll learn more and more about what actually took place inside the school. Uh, so, look, usually in the analysis here, we're talking about what kind of weapon, how he got the weapon and what that tells us about access. I don't see those as particularly relevant right now as the facts lay out. But there is something that continues to be relevant. How do you make the schools safer? That seems to have been a factor here. This kid was able to walk in. Uh, he knew the school, obviously, because he was a student. Uh, and he was able to do what he wanted to do. It does seem to once again raise this issue. And we heard it echoed by the governor, uh, one of the uh, U.S. senators here, uh, Ted Cruz, Governor Abbott, Ted Cruz, the local representative. They all said we have to do better to make our schools safer. What would make a difference? We they had two resource officers with weapons that engaged. Cannot allow schools to be considered soft targets. Now, you can put school resource officers there, single point entry, but they had that in Parkland, meaning that you've got to come in one ingress and egress point. The problem with that, Chris, we talked about that before, students are always going to take the path of least resistance, hold the door open, and that makes that well, an you issue. You also got code concerns about yes. having, what if, God forbid, there's a fire? What if there's a yeah. natural catastrophe where you got to get out? You have to have more than one way in and out with 1,400 kids. And it goes to the same thing about locking students into classrooms. If you are able to lock yourself or barricade yourself into a classroom, what if the bad guy's in that classroom and can lock it and prevent the good guys from getting and to that, it? That's a God forbid. Chief, last thought here. Uh, access to the weapon. These were the father's weapons, we understand. Let's assume obtained legally by him. How you keep your weapon safe is an issue that often doesn't get much of attention. And Jimmy and I were researching it on the way down. There's a reason for that. One, they're really low-grade laws. Here in Texas, it's an e-misdemeanor. It's the lowest-grade misdemeanor you can have. It's a fine up to maybe a year in jail, but that's uh, not going to change anybody's behavior. Um, But do you think this case... Because ordinarily they don't prosecute because the people who own the weapons already suffered so much. Usually their kid is gone or their kid killed one of their own children statistically. So they've already suffered. Do you think we may see investigation on whether or not these guns were properly secured? Well, I mean, it's a possibility, but I mean, it goes to the issue of just responsible gun ownership, not necessarily whether or not it's a violation of a law or not. But if you've got weapons, you need to be able to secure them so they don't fall into the hands of your children or anyone else who should not have possession of that firearm. And so we all have a collective responsibility to see to it that if we do own weapons, that we properly secure the weapons. You know, I've heard a lot about, you know, there are no red flags or whatever. Who knows what the family may know? Obviously, there's been a change in the behavior. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. Uh, So obviously, we have to dig a little deeper to find out more about this kid and exactly what was going on and what led him to this particular uh, uh, incident. Chief, thank you very much. James, you're going to stay with me. I appreciate it. Anderson, one of the reasons we're raising this is that James uh, recognized in the research that there are approximately 1.4 million households in this country with over 2 million weapons where they are not kept uh, in safe storage and they are often kept near or fully armed. So it is an issue and there's a debate there as well. Yeah, there certainly is. Chris, appreciate it. Just had we're going to hear from an emergency room nurse who was among the first to treat the wounded. We'll be right back. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. 
Amid all the death and mayhem at Santa Fe High School, a remarkable story of a teenager who miraculously survived what could have been a fatal bullet wound. Santa Fe student Room Schubert was grazed by one of the bullets, fired, not only survived, was back home on his parents' porch to talk about it. It went in through the back of my head, just right, like kind of in the middle of the back of my head, and then came out right here. What did doctors tell you about that injury? Uh, They told me that this was the perfect scenario for getting hit in the head and that if it would have done anything else than what it did, that I could be paralyzed, feel lucky to be here. And I just, I just wish this didn't happen. It shouldn't happen to anybody in that school. Nobody, nobody deserves that. It's incredible. Right now, I'm joined by Lana Hall, who's a, an emergency room nurse who was one of the first to, to treat the wounded today, as well as Dr. Safi Medain. Lana, can, can you just walk us through what happened today, your experiences? I understand eight people came through your medical center doors after the shooting. Uh, yes, sir. So um, shortly after we started our day, like we were going through our normal routine of uh, rounding on our patients, kind of stocking the rooms, getting them prepped for just the normal day-to-day ER. Um, we got a call that there were people responding to the scene with an active shooter. Didn't actually get what was coming in as of that point, but we knew we needed to be prepared. Uh, spoke with our leaders and the doctor that was on, Dr. Noye. Uh, at that time, he was able, he was um, there and kind of prompted the trauma team. He got all the trauma people involved. We started contacting blood bank. We called a um, nursing huddle for all the ER staff that was there, kind of went into a plan B mass casualty mode, uh, assigned people to trauma teams, trauma rooms, had everybody's role lined out prior to people arriving. We got the first wave of patients. It was uh, three incoming, all gunshot wounds, one potentially really serious, and the other one's were still had the potential, but we didn't know as exactly what type of gun or anything at this point. And when they arrived, the trauma surgeon, Dr. Welsh, and I kind of assessed the people as they were coming through the ambulance bay and delegated where they needed to go, which team needed to see them, which one was the most appropriate, and just let the teams take it from there. And First wave went through, our people stabilized them, downgraded them to other rooms, to the back of the nurse's station to kind of declutter, and we're ready to roll with the next wave that came in. And Lana, how are the patients doing tonight? Um, well, I'm pleased to say everybody that came through here is doing well at this time, and we have one that's still a little critical, but she was able to come out of um, surgery, so we're happy for that's that. Great. We were able to six of the eight that came in within about an hour or two from their arrival. And, and Dr. Medane, your hospital, it's a level two trauma center. I mean, did you ever imagine that you would have to handle something like this with this amount of people? Um, absolutely. I mean, we never want to uh, uh, have another school shooting, but uh, level two trauma centers are well-equipped, just as equipped as level ones to handle mass casualties and pretty much any trauma that comes through. Uh, So we were prepared. We've been preparing for something like this for quite a while. We actually had a drill last week. Um, And the incredible staff at uh, Clear Lake Regional, the nurses, the techs, uh, lab, radiology, were all part of those drills every time. The incredible providers with Envision Healthcare were part of those drills. Um, 
And unfortunately, today we had to do it, but uh, everything ran um, uh, as planned. And Lana, I mean, how are how are you? How are your colleagues holding up after everything today? I mean, it's one thing to to you know to do this drill, and and thankfully you're you know you you did do these drills, um, but to actually see these folks and to see these kids. And my colleagues today were impressive. They were the most professional, calm in the state of chaos that was brought in. It could have been potentially a lot worse. Thankfully, it wasn't that came to us. But they were amazing and held their composure, treated everybody with empathy, got them in and out, stabilized quickly. Uh, they're just amazing. The team that I work with is incredible. Well, we appreciate all the work you've done, Lana Hall. Thank you, Dr. Safi Medane, as well. When we see images like, like these played out over and over and over again, it's hard not to remember that horrible day in 1999 when the Columbine High School shooting became a national tragedy, played out on television. Up next, I'll speak with Columbine author David Cullen about uh, what we've learned since then about, about these scenes repeated far too often. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved. And uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We've just gotten the first two names of the 10 fallen. Cynthia Tisdale, she was a substitute teacher at Santa Fe High School. Also, Sabika Sheikh was an exchange student from Pakistan. Today, the school joins Tragic Company, a growing list of schools in America where mass shootings have cut lives short. It's been 19 years since the massacre at Columbine High School, and that shooting it taught many lessons to many groups, to schools, to law enforcement, and to the media. A lot of what was reported in the early aftermath of Columbine was frankly wrong. With that in mind, we want to be careful in drawing too many parallels to today's shooting, but it seems there are some. Journalist and author Dave Cullen wrote what was really the definitive book on Columbine. It's called Columbine. He joins me now. Dave, uh, it seems I talked to you in the wake of you know, each of these shootings, and I talk to you uh, often, uh, too often, i, I, I got to say, um, do you see parallels to Columbine, or, or what do you think has been learned since Columbine? Because certainly from law enforcement standpoint, a, a lot has been learned. Uh, a ton has been learned. In fact, I was kind of shocked today to see the, um, the governor announce a journal, and I thought, we don't normally find that out the first day. And then the more I thought about it, the, the lead FBI agent uh, who, who ran the whole investigation for the FBI, uh, Dwayne Fuseli, didn't find out about Eric Harris's journal until Friday three days later, and Dylan's much later, um, and he found out about it when an ATF agent kept, you know, being like, oh, my God, this is, he's like, what have you got there? So they didn't even know to look for things like that. They just brought everything from the killer's room and didn't go through it. So today, 19 years later, obviously, by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they had searched the room, knew what they were looking for, had identified this journal, had read it, because then they summarized it, gave that summary to the governor, and he went on national television and announced the summary. So that whole process has changed. And knowing what's out there and realizing killers usually explain themselves in this stuff. He's going to tell us why he did it. Go find it immediately. And, and that's, that, that is the case, that, that there usually is some sort of journal or some sort of explanation where the, the killer tries to explain themselves or, or at least kind of vents what's going on in their head. Almost always. The Las Vegas shooter is the huge anomaly, although I keep cautioning people that at this point, 
This far out from Las Vegas, we still didn't know after Columbine about the basement, the, the tapes of the two killers left. That still hadn't been announced yet. So they may have something from Las Vegas that we haven't heard yet. But if that tr- turns out to be true, that's an c- incredible anomaly where the person did not explain themselves. It's almost 100 percent. You know, I, I remember, obviously, in the wake of Columbine, too, there was a lot of talk about sort of the, the, trend, uh, the trench code. Obviously, there's uh, images uh, from this person's social media postings uh, of a trench coat that reports that he wore a trench coat today. Uh, some of that stuff about, you know, that the, the profile of the two killers in Columbine, and, and I always try never to use their names, but, but, uh, but a lot of that, that kind of early reporting um, it was kind of a, an echo chamber. It wasn't it was not accurate. It was some 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 kid said described the, the killers in one way. And then, I mean, in through really it was in your reporting over the years that the kind of the, the a truer picture of them emerged. Yeah, the echo chamber, you totally nailed it there. That's exactly what happened. And some of the echoes start also from preconceived notions. So most people in the country still think there is a profile, which is incorrect, that most of these shooters are loners, outcasts, and bullied and so forth. Uh, often they are bullied, but uh, most of the rest is not true, and that's not always true either. But so they start with that preconception. So a lot of the kids who don't necessarily actually know the kids can say that to a reporter. Um, so we're starting out from a problematic place. I always caution people that consider if you were a really close friend of a mass murderer, where would you be today? You'd be hiding away in your house, not talking to anybody. In almost all cases, the people we want to hear from most, we're not going to hear from for a couple of days. They may be talking to the cops today, but we don't know. So we're getting mostly acquaintances, people who knew him in third grade, maybe a couple people who actually knew him. But we're getting a mixture of, um, you know, it's a mixture. Some probably is good information we're getting and a lot of bad mixed in. So take everything today for the next couple of days with a huge boulder of salt. And just finally, just in terms of law enforcement tactics, that those have changed completely since Columbine. Completely, yeah. In, in Columbine, they surrounded the school, perimeter to not let anybody out, anybody out, uh, and everything has changed. Um, the active shooter protocol now, where they, they go in, the first police officers are supposed to go in immediately. Um, in fact, that is so ingrained that there's a huge controversy at Parkland that that didn't happen. Um, so complete change. You know, I, I make the point, like, the school system changed dramatically, the cops changed dramatically— the only thing that hasn't changed is the legislature of trying to do anything. Um, our, our representatives who are supposed to be for us, they've done nothing after this. And that's, that's what's kind of astonishing 19 years later. They're the one part of the world that's still stuck in 1999. Dave Cullen, the book is Columbine. Thank you very much. Sorry, it's always under these circumstances that we talk. Just want to quickly go back to Chris Cuomo in Santa Fe. Chris? You guys are making all the right points. I mean, look. This current tragedy is a little different, right, because uh, this murderer's access to weapons isn't as questionable. The types of weapons aren't the ones that raise concerns necessarily. But when you deal with mental health uh, warning signs and resources, when you deal with how schools are made harder targets, uh, when you deal with what is sensible in terms of who gets guns, how and why, they're all the right questions. They're just never getting asked, Anderson. And that's why you hustle the team to come down here, uh, even with you being across the pond, because we can't let any of these events go. I know it's another one. I know there's fatigue. I know it seems meaningless. But if we forget that we're interconnected and these could be my kids, we'll never get anywhere. We've got to keep pushing for people to do something. Uh, Chris, thanks very much. I'm glad you're there. Coming up next, other news. Uh- campaign conspiracy theory the president is pushing and saying would be worse than Watergate if true. The question is, is that true? 
We have new reporting that goes straight to the heart of the matter. Details ahead. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Reports, The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. U.S. officials tonight are telling CNN that a confidential intelligence source was not planted inside the Trump campaign, not planted despite what the president and his surrogates, notably his lawyer Rudy Giuliani, have been claiming for several days now. This morning, the president tweeted, quote, reports are there was indeed at least one FBI representative implanted for political purposes into my campaign for president. It took place very early on and long before the phony Russia hoax became a hot fake news story, if true, all-time biggest political scandal. Well, that's on top of yesterday's tweet, which was, wow, word seems to be coming out that the Obama FBI spied on the Trump campaign with an embedded informant. If so, this is bigger than Watergate. But yesterday, Rudy Giuliani was shocked. I'm shocked to hear that they put a spy in the campaign of a major party candidate or maybe two spies. And now I'm going through my brain since, you, you know, I was a big part of that campaign. I'm trying to figure out who was the spy. Right. <laughs> now I'm wondering, is it this person or that person or this person? Well, today, when asked for evidence, Giuliani had actually none to offer Chris Cuomo. Here's the issue that I really feel strongly about with this informant, if there is one. First of all, I don't know for sure, nor does the president, if there really was one. We're told that. Uh, told that by whom? We're told that by people who, for a long time, we've been told that there's some, there was some kind of infiltration. At one time, the president thought it was a wiretap. There were, there were, there were some uh, Pfizer applications, but we've never been notified that he was on a, on, on a tap or an intercept. There's never been any proof that he was on a wiretap either. No, but, but, but he did say it as fact many times. I think he, I think he, he thought that. I, mean, I, think I know, but that doesn't make it true. That's part of the problem with understanding this situation. The president feels something, states it as fact. There winds up being no proof, but now you have a lot of people who believe it. He may turn out to be closer to the truth than people thought, because if there we're told there were two uh, infiltrations, two embedded people in the campaign. And now when you say you were told, just let's clear the record. You mean you're gleaning this from the reporting that's out there? No, the reporting corroborates what people have told us uh, off the record, uh, you don't know if they're right or not. There are people who knew a little about the investigation. Now, a number of Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee want information about this informant. And it's not an abstract argument because the informant in question is obviously a real person with much at stake, something FBI Director Chris Ray underscored this week in testimony on the Hill. Human sources in particular who put themselves at great risk to work with us and with our foreign partners have to be able to trust that we're going to protect their identities and in many cases their lives and the lives of their families. Uh, and the day that we can't protect human sources is the day the American people start becoming less safe. Well, perspective now from a Democrat on the House uh, Intelligence Committee, Congressman Jim Himes of Connecticut. So, Congressman, Have you seen any evidence to suggest there was something improper in the FBI investigation or that there was reason to reveal an FBI and CIA informant's identity to the president's allies? 
None, Anderson, and there is none. And look, you heard Rudy Giuliani uh, in legal terms. What he was doing was he was uh, uh, trafficking in hearsay. Well, we knew some people who might have known a little something about the investigation. And, you know, the tell with Rudy Giuliani, uh, Anderson, is the language he uses. A spy. And oh, yeah, there were FISA warrants. Rudy Giuliani is a former prosecutor. He's a lawyer. He's conducted dozens of investigations himself. He knows that there is no such thing as a spy in an investigation. There might be informants. Now, there's no evidence of that uh, in this case that he can offer. Uh, there were there were, in fact, FISA warrants. The uh, Republicans on the Intelligence Committee made sure that America knew about that. And now to the back half of your question, um, Director Ray is right. Um, the FBI, to keep us safe, relies on informants. Our intelligence community relies on people in places like Pakistan and Yemen and Russia and all over the world who are willing to risk their lives to work with the CIA, to work with the FBI, because they think that the FBI and the CIA will protect them from being killed in many cases in horrible ways. So what Devin Nunes and what the president and what his people are doing right now is they are telling the world that when we feel like it, uh, we will expose sources, we will expose informants, we will expose uh, assets in dangerous places around the world. That will make this country much less safe than it is today, all in the effort of throwing mud in the wheels of this investigation. The the Senate Intelligence Vice Chair Mark Warner just issued a statement saying in part that that it could be, quote, potentially illegal for members of Congress to use their positions to learn the identity of an FBI source. Do you believe that's true? Well, it may be. Um, You know, it would certainly be illegal to do uh, what uh, Devin Nunes and Mark Meadows and, and the gang of defenders of the president have been doing which has been leaking this stuff, you know, talking about FISA applications, some of the most classified things that we have, talking about it would certainly be illegal. Um, But what's much, much more concerning um, is the fact that they are demanding of the FBI that Congress, for political purposes, and let's let's face it, you know, you listen to Rudy Giuliani for 30 seconds, and you know that he's there for political, not for legal purposes. For political purposes, they are demanding that the Department of Justice and the FBI let them look into an ongoing investigation. Five years ago, 10 years ago, 100 years ago, that would have been absolutely unthinkable, completely unthinkable, and it is damaging law enforcement in this country and is damaging our ability to get people to cooperate with us abroad at risk to their own lives. So the Washington Post reports that, that the House Intelligence Chair, Devin Nunes, who you talked about, is no longer speaking directly to President Trump because of the optics of the past interference he's run on the president's behalf. Instead, Nunes is going through the White House counsel, Don McGahn, The president is reportedly talking to to GOP Congressman Mark Meadows regularly about this, and the Congressman Meadows isn't even on the Intelligence Committee. Does that concern you? It really does. You know, Mark Meadows and, and, and Jim Jordan don't have three facts to rub together on this investigation. They're not a member of any of the investigatory committees. They don't know the background. Um, they are just willing. And it's kind of interesting because, of course, they're the leaders of the right wing faction, the conservative faction of the Republican Party, which, by the way, uh, today brought down the uh, all important farm bill for the Republicans. Thank you very much. Um, but what they have done is they as leaders of a conservative right wing movement, they have said, we're going to set all that aside Traditionally, we would have stood for law and order, and we're going to damage the law and order uh, institutions of this country in favor of very simply defending the president. And, you know, these guys are skating very close, I think, to the letter of the law and to ethical behavior by demanding information from an ongoing investigation uh, from the FBI. And they are certainly doing profound, profound damage to the ability of the FBI in the future to do its job and the ability of the CIA 
uh, to recruit human uh, agents around the world because it turns out that a couple of politically motivated congressmen might be able to out you and then it's game over and you're six feet under. Congressman Jim Himes, I appreciate your time, Jim. Thanks very much, Congressman. Up next, the latest from Santa Fe, Texas, today's high school shooting that left 10 dead and 10 wounded. What we're learning about the victims and the investigation next. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.